This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. If you're like me, and in this case, I I really think you are, then you have some really great memories of Thanksgivings, like in the past. You probably have great traditions you remember from when you were a child. As you got older, you probably added some traditions. Uh, If you got married, you probably merged some traditions. For, for us, for my sister, my brother, and I, our tradition on Thanksgiving was always to go to our grandparents' house. And we would go up to our grandparents' house, and their, their living room would be converted into a dining room. And the most wonderful food in the world was set on it. After my grandparents passed, and my, our, our, parents, our parents divorced, and we moved back from South Georgia... My sister, brother, and I, we got together and we said, you know, we're going to pick back up where we left off. And we're going to continue, we're starting a a new tradition, but continue meeting together for Thanksgiving. And so my brother Randy and his wife Rita and my nephew Cade, they said, hey, let's do it at our house over in Perrysburg, Ohio, near Toledo. And so we, like my sister wrangled up her family, I wrangled up our family, we all went over, my mom went over. And we had such an amazing time at their house that we said, this is it. Every year, let's do it over here. And Randy and Rita are like, okay. Like, so we're going to converge in your house. And, and that became our new tradition. And, and, and we picked up some new traditions along the way. Like, we started going like for these wonderful just walks around their neighborhood every Thanksgiving. And we, we decided that we would go watch our nephew, Cade. He's an amazing hockey player. But he started playing when he was like smaller than the puck. And so every time we were over there for Thanksgiving, he had a tournament. We'd go over and watch him play. And we would drive an hour north up into Michigan to go to Cabela's. Hallelujah. You know, because it became a tradition. We did that every year. And then one year we started a, a brand new tradition called, called the fire trucks. Um, because uh, the one year when, when we were cooking, we, the house just flooded with smoke. And so we called the fire trucks, and they showed up with all the fires going, and it was, it was just a fascinating time because they just blew all the smoke out. wasn't any danger, but the kids got a tour of the fire trucks. So that was bonus. And then not to be outdone the next year, we decided to call the fire trucks again um, because this year we actually did have a fire in the oven, and it got a little bit scary, so we called the fire trucks again. They're like, hey, we know where you are. We'll be right there. And so, so they came back over the second time, you know, two years in a row, and the kids are like, hey, this is what we do every year. This is great. Let's go see the fire truck again. Uh, and then the third year, not to be outdone again, we did not call the fire, fire trucks, but my mom, and you, you had to know my mom. My mom, um, she, she absolutely loved Jesus. She adored us as her kids and her grandkids. Like She just adored her family. And she loved to live life, going 90 to nothing, like full steam all the time, even though she was living with stage 4 lung cancer. And so that, that third year, you know, after the fire truck years, um, she decided, like, after the meal was over and we were kind of cleaning up after dessert, she decided that she would start a food fight. In the house. That's my mom. And I think it started maybe one of the grandkids, but it escalated and it migrated. So it started with like some whipped cream and it escalated um, to more food and it migrated from the dining room into the kitchen. I'm talking two liter bottles of Diet Coke being shaken and opened. And yeah, this is my mom. Uh, and then the rest of us joining in. And by the end of all that mayhem, my mom had a broken wrist. Uh, who knew that? 
you know, whipped cream and Diet Coke would be so slippery on a linoleum floor. Well, we should have, right? And so we had that three-year tradition of just, let's call first responders, because that's what we do at Thanksgiving, apparently, in Perrysburg, Ohio. Uh, but, but you probably have some really great memories and traditions of Thanksgiving. And my hope is, as you look back over those, over the years that you've done this, and this year, this Thursday, you'll do this, you will you will meet, and maybe you have you going to run a turkey trot, you know, on, on, on that Thursday morning. By the way, if you run a, you know, a 5K on Thanksgiving Day, um, you can eat as much as you want for three days after that and not feel guilty. Uh, you, uh, maybe you maybe you get with your family and you just watch the Macy's Day Parade. Maybe you go out and play a game of football, like you know, the, the, the family football game. Maybe you just watch football all day. Maybe you get all the flyers for all the uh, Black Friday uh, deals, and you go through those, and we're going here, here, and here. And by the way, it starts now on Thursdays. Uh, but maybe, I don't know what you do, but I hope that you will really make it thanksgiving, where you load your day with gratitude. Now, gratitude is not the subject of our message this morning, but gratitude is inextricably linked to generosity. And in a few moments, I'm going to show you how. But first, let me just say welcome. Welcome into Grace Collective. If you are normally part of our family, either in person or part of our online family, we are so, so, so glad and thankful that you are here. And if you are newer with us, then we are super glad that you, that you are here. Like, we're here because you're here. We, we want you to be here. And so, uh, if you're newer, we want to take one baby step with you. We would hope that you, on your way out, you'll stop by Connect Point. It's right out there in the lobby. And when you go to Connect Point, there is a team of people, a, a, an amazing team of people, who cannot wait to meet you. In fact, they're out there because you're in here. And when you go out there, um, if you're brand new, if it's your first time, they're going to give you a gift. They're going to get some information from you if you're comfortable sharing that. We just want to connect with you. And, and then if you are just newer in general, we hope you'll take a moment to find out what your next steps are here at Grace Collective. They'll walk you through a couple next steps, say like two minutes of your time or less. And we hope you'll take advantage of that as you go out stopping at Connect Point. Hey, so let's get everybody up on the same page so we start at the same place today. So this is week number three in our message series called Radical Generosity. And we've been looking at and talking about the different levels of generosity that people live at. And you know people who live in these different levels or stages of being generous. And the first level uh, that we talked about is people who are simply not, right? They are not generous. I know this does not include you, because you are generous people. But you know people who are not generous. They either never learn to be generous, just seems like nothing grabs their heart when they see a need or a hurt. They're just never generous. They're simply not generous. The next level we talked about are people who are nominally generous. And people who are nominally generous are people who, who are generous when it generates something back to them. I'll give a little bit, I'll spend a little time here, if, if, if there's a kickback for me. And those are people who are nominally generous. And then, the next level is people who are normally generous. And that's probably where most of us live. We live in this range of being normally generous people because we give when, you know, when, when people show up at our door asking, hey, will you buy a ticket for this or will you go down and buy a hoagie for that? We react to people's needs. We respond to people's requests. And that's just normal. I think being normal is, is, as people, we're normally generous. But then there's this whole other category 
that here at Grace Collective we call radically generous or radical generosity. And then it goes above and beyond. It's bigger and bolder and better than, than not generous, nominally generous, or even normally generous. In fact, radical generosity is even bigger than Aldi generosity. And you know what Aldi generosity is, right? When you shop at Aldi's, you know, you walk up to Aldi's and, and outside the store, you put a quarter in. How cool is that little mechanism, right? You put a quarter in the, in the, the buggy so it releases it. You go, you do shopping, you unload it in your car. And if you're Aldi generous, you put your buggy back, but you don't take your quarter back, right? You leave it out for somebody else. Or, or better yet, to save you a few steps, you see someone getting out of their car, you know they're going to need a buggy. Hey, you need a buggy? I need a buggy. Here's a quarter. No, no, no. You keep your 25 cents because I am Aldi generous, right? And, and how great that people are Aldi generous, because how many times have you shown up at Aldi's thinking you had a quarter in your car? And you get there like, dang, I don't have anything in here, and I've got, I got a lot to get, so you hope we walk out, God, let someone be Aldi generous to me today. But radical generosity goes even beyond Aldi generosity. Radical generosity doesn't wait for someone to say, here's my need. Aldi generosity does not wait for you to respond to someone's hurt. Radical, genero- radical generosity is generosity that's out in front. It's generosity that allows you to be thinking forward and giving forward with your time and your skill set and your finances even before you know the people you're going to help, even before you even know they have a need. You may be being generous ahead of time to people that you don't even, you will never even meet. You will never know them. That's being radically generous. Radical, radical generosity does not need a trigger. It is not reactive. It's not responsive. Radical generosity is planned generosity. Now, I believe that most people want to be generous. Like, you want to be generous, right? Okay, three of you want to be generous. Um, but you want, to, you want to be generous. You're just not sure how to be sometimes. Like, how do you, how do you not complain when you, you want to be in the woods, you want to be spending time with your family, you want to be watching the game, you want to do what you've set your time aside to do, you're looking forward to it for, like for a week ahead of time, and then you find out that, hey, you know what, I just need to hold that loosely because I, I think I'm going to go help someone else in that time. How do, you, how do you give your time away and not begrudge the person you give it to? How do you, how do you give money away, finances away, when the things that you still want to buy for yourself? How do you do these things without... Complaining, You want to be generous. But how do you take that step and begin to live generously? Well, today I'm going to show you three steps that you can take starting today that help you begin to live a radically generous life. You ready? Great. Let's go. Here's number one. Jump right in. Number one. Step number one. Have the same attitude as Jesus. Have the same attitude as Jesus. Here is a true statement. If you want to act like Jesus, you have to start with or have the same attitude as Jesus. Most people want to act like Jesus. Most people want to act like Jesus. You may be sitting here or joining online today and you're like, not me. I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I, I don't even think I like Jesus. I certainly like Jesus' people because they have the way they've treated me before. I don't, I don't want any part of Jesus. But you want to act like Jesus. Because you want to love. You want to love unconditionally. You want to forgive unselfishly. You want to live generously. In fact, if you, if you could make a list of all the ways you think people should be, 
And all the things you think people should do. And all the right ways you think people should live. If you, if you could say, I want to be this kind of person. I want people to treat me like this. I want to treat other people like this. If you, if you scripted that list and you held it up beside Jesus and what Jesus taught and what Jesus modeled and what Jesus told us to be like, they would match. But yes, that's who Jesus is. Even if you don't know who Jesus is, even if you're not sure if you even like Jesus, you want to be like Jesus. If you want to act like Jesus, then you have to start with an attitude like Jesus. And that doesn't come as a surprise, right? Lots of things you do begin with your attitude. Lots of things you do begin with your attitude. Like how you started today. Like when you woke up today, it was like, it felt like it was eight degrees outside this morning when I got here. That's cold. Boy, if you don't have the right attitude, you're going to stay in bed. You know, there, there are two, two types of people in this world about when they start to face the day. There are people who wake up in the morning and they say, good morning, God, right? Then the people who wake up and say, good God, it's morning, right? You start your day with your attitude. Your attitude starts you off into your day. How you speak to your spouse starts with your attitude. How you deal with your children starts with your attitude. How you go to work in the morning or what time of day you go. How you go to school. How you, how you approach your next game. How you go to your next concert. Those things all start with your attitude. So it's no surprise when we talk about it. If you want to act like Jesus, it starts with having the same attitude as Jesus. Now here's how a man named Paul wrote about this. And maybe some of you can relate to Paul. Because Paul didn't believe in Jesus. He believed in Jesus, like physically he saw Jesus because he was a contemporary of Jesus. But he didn't like Jesus. He didn't believe in what Jesus was doing. In fact, he hated Jesus. Paul, I believe, Paul was one of the guys who plotted and applauded Jesus' death. Paul hated Jesus. He hated everybody who followed Jesus until Paul met Jesus. Paul met, and it changed his life. Now, what I'm about to say will blow some of your minds, but when Paul met Jesus, Jesus had already been dead. Jesus had been, been crucified and buried. But Jesus rose again from the dead. And now, the resurrected Jesus met up with, with Paul, and Paul had a conversation with him, and that conversation, and that experience with Jesus changed Paul's life dramatically, I'll say radically, and so what Paul writes about when he talks about Jesus, he, he's writing about his own, from his own personal experience with Jesus. And it changed his life so much that Paul became, I believe, one of the greatest ambassadors and one of the greatest church planters the world has ever seen. Now, Paul wrote a letter that we're going to read from. So I'm going to read from this in a moment. Like, hurry up and get there already. I'll read from it in a moment. But don't think of me as just reading the Bible. Because the Bible's big. This is just a letter. This is a letter a guy wrote. I believe under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it's a letter a man wrote in reality. A real guy to real people about a real experience he had in his real life. And he's writing to them who are trying to live real life and in their everyday culture. And he's writing these people who, who were uh, followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi. And that city was interesting because by the time Paul got there on what we call his second missionary journey, he traveled through a part of Europe and he went to the city called Philippi. And Philippi was already at that point an ancient city. It had been around a long time. And it was populated by Romans and Greeks. 
and a few others, you know, kind of a smattering of others scattered in there. But there weren't many Jews there. You know, there weren't many Jews. In fact, there were so few Jews, there weren't even enough to have a synagogue. Their law stated you had to have ten Jewish men in a city or a town to start uh, like a, a satellite campus of the Jewish community in Jerusalem. There weren't even ten Jewish men in the town. So in the city, it was comprised, actually it was a colony of retired Roman soldiers. Think about that for a moment. Those are the people, those are the people that put Jesus to death. And now Paul's going and telling them about Jesus being raised to life. So, so Paul goes to a city called Philippi, and he begins to, to talk to them about Jesus. And, and these are people who had no background, no recollection. They, didn't, they, they came from a pantheistic worldview. And now Paul says, hey, there's one God and just one God. And he came in the form of a man named Jesus. And you killed him, but he came back to life again. And he's offering you new life forever. And they ate it up. They, 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 they embraced it. They received it. And they loved, they loved Jesus. And they loved Paul for, for turning, turning him on to Jesus. And they became, listen to this, they became the first church in Europe. The church at Philippi. And so Paul later writes this letter about how to treat others as followers of Jesus. Listen to what he wrote. He, he wrote these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility... Value others above yourselves. That was, that was so foreign for these people. These are Romans. These are Greeks. They're part of the two greatest civilizations the world had ever known. Especially the Romans. They're retired Roman soldiers. They were, they were part of the strongest army on, on the earth. They didn't bow before anybody. Everybody bowed before them. And now to say, oh, I'm going to be humble and make you more important than me? No way. No way! Especially a non-Roman? Are you kidding? Paul, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, you, 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 in humility, value others above yourselves. But Paul wasn't done. He kept writing, saying, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, think the way Jesus thought. Act like Jesus acted. Have, have the same attitude as Jesus. And then Paul, so it doesn't leave us in the dark, then Paul gives us this absolutely beautiful explanation of Jesus' attitude. Listen to this. He said about Jesus, who? Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Paul is saying, you got to understand, Jesus is fully God. He is God in a bod. He is God in the flesh. He is God, really, who came to earth for you and me. He said, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. He is fully God. He has all the power of God and all the authority of God and all the glory of God. He has, he has everything of God just, just in Him because He is just God in, in human form. And yet, even though He had all that, can you imagine walking around as God on earth? Oh, you're sinning? Zap. Oh, you're sinning. Zap. Don't take me to the cross. You're done. He didn't use it to his own advantage. He could have. But he didn't. Your, your translation, if you're reading along, it may say he, he didn't consider it something to be grasped. Like, not understood grasped. But he, 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 didn't, he didn't. It was not something to be held on to. Jesus held all of that loosely. That's what Paul is saying to us here. Then he keeps writing. He says, rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think of servant, but in that culture, what Paul is writing about, the word he is using, the word there is doulu from the Greek word doulos, and it just means an indentured servant. Someone who, in that culture, you could, if you thought you have a better life, or you just had nothing and you need to get something, you could go to a person who is a wealthier person and say, I will sell myself to you, and I will be your indentured servant. And then you could later buy your way back out of that. It wasn't a forever thing. So that's what, that's what Paul is saying Jesus did for us. God the Almighty coming to earth and say, hey, I'm going I'm to become your indentured servant. I'm choosing. No one's enforcing me. I'm choosing to become a servant for you. That's what Paul is saying. He keeps writing. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is ludicrous. Can you imagine that? This is, this is the God. This is God who invented life. This is God who gives life. This is God who is life. The God who never dies. Yet here he is surrendering himself to death. So Jesus' attitude was this. He held loosely what was his so he could generously make it yours. Jesus made himself less so that you can become more. And if you want to act like Jesus, that was his attitude. You could have the same attitude as Jesus. That's step number one. No big deal, right? Some of you are thinking, man, why did I come today? That's hard stuff. That's step number one. Here's step number two. Here's step number two. Remember what's most important. Remember what's most important and then live it. Live it. Here's how Paul said it to another church in another town with another letter. He wrote these words. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since you have given your life to Jesus. Since you surrendered to Jesus. Since you're now living a new life. You're dead to your old life. You're raised into this new life. Who you are now. Since, you, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul saying, hey, remember what's most important. Get your attention fixed on what's most important. When you gave your life to Jesus, or when you give your life to Jesus, you change. You become new. You have a new way of living, and a new way of loving, a new way of acting, a new way of reacting. You're living with a new purpose now. You're, you're playing with a different deck now. You've died to your old self. And you're living with new purposes now. You're no longer driven by the desires you used to be driven by. You're, you're not controlled by things like lust and greed because now you're new. You're new. You have a new purpose, new direction, something new to live for, something new to live from, something new to live towards. And a new source to live that towards. So keep your eyes above the horizon. Keep your mind set on those things that are above and here's why. Here's why I think this is so personal for Paul. When Paul gave his life to Jesus, you have to understand, Paul was it. I don't know if you know Paul's background very much or not, but Paul was it. He was the, he was the rising star of the Jewish political system. 
Paul had everything. He had power, money, prestige, influence, position. Paul had everything going for him. There were people who were like all eyes on Paul, high expectations for Paul. But when Paul gave his life to Jesus, all of that went away. Paul lost every bit of that. And the people who used to cheer for him now hunted him. They wanted Paul dead. In fact, Paul shares with us some of the hardships. He's like, I'm crazy for telling you this. It's not boasting, but you need to know what I've gone through for the sake of Jesus and for you to know about Jesus. He tells us what he went through. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned and left for dead. So like, all got stoned, pummeled with rocks, so that and left for dead. That was the way they, they executed people. And they thought he was dead. They left him there. Oh, he's dead, but he wasn't. Uh, he was beaten with rods, uh, you know, big big stick rods. He was uh, five times. He was flogged within an inch of his life, like Jesus went through the, the terrible flogging. Uh, Paul went through that five times. Paul uh, he he was a, arrested or tried to be. They tried to arrest him in almost every town that he went to. This, this was Paul's life after giving his life to Jesus. Doesn't it sound fun to follow Jesus? And, and at that point, you begin to wonder and to ask, Paul, wouldn't it have been easier just to give up? Wouldn't it have been easier to throw in the towel? Paul, you've done your job. And you might be thinking the same. I've done my job. I served two years in the nursery. I've worked with the kid, middle school kids. I've, I've served on the, on the tech team for six months already. When do I get to stop? Like, wouldn't it be easier, Paul, if you just threw it all away and, and just got back to life as normal? But Paul wouldn't stop because Paul had this radical generosity. He would keep going and keep suffering and keep facing those trials because he was so radically generous with his time and his skill set and his finances. He wanted the whole world to know about Jesus. So Paul never stopped. Paul kept moving forward when everything tried to push him backwards. That's what Paul was motivated by. In fact, listen to what he wrote. He, he wrote this, remembering everything he had given up, who he used to be, what he used to have. He wrote this. He said, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That word in Greek is actually refuse. It, it refers to the, the scraps, the, the leftovers, the stuff you would never, ever want, and you throw them out just to the stray dogs in the street. So I consider all those things I used to have as, as refuse, as garbage, that I may gain Christ. Keeping your eyes locked on Jesus gives you perspective on the things of this world. Paul knew that. He's admonishing us to, to know it too. Paul was living for something more. He was able to do that by remembering what was most important. Keeping his eyes above the horizon. So that's step number two. When it comes to living a radically generous life. Remember, the things you have are just things. The hardships you're going through are just a season. There's something bigger and better you're living towards and living from. You're being sourced by. So keep your eyes above that's step number two. Here's step number three. Practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Remember I told you at the beginning of this message, like two days ago, that uh, gratitude is inextricably linked to generosity. Here's what I mean. When you are thankful, when you are thankful, you are more generous to others. And here's why. Being thankful for what you have frees you from wanting more. 
being thankful for what you have frees you from wanting more. So I've had the privilege of being on several mission trips around the world. No matter where we went, no matter what people we were helping or what we were working on, I always come home feeling the same way. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, then you know what I'm about to say next. If you've never been on a mission trip, you can understand what I'm about to say next. I always come home thinking, I have way too much of everything. And I just want to be generous with everything that I have. When I was pastoring my first church down in South Georgia, I was asked to co-lead a mission team uh, for a couple weeks in Jamaica. And so we went to Jamaica, and we were on the southern part of Jamaica, a town called Port Royal. There aren't any sandals resorts along that area of Jamaica, right? When you think of Jamaica and all the beaches, that's not where we were. Our, our, um, our place we stayed was a bombed out British naval barracks from way back when. And the, the third floor had no roof, and the, the windows were basically just holes in the wall, nothing covering them. Uh, we hired, um, employed some women from locally from the town to, to prepare our meals every day for us. They cooked over charcoal fire. I mean, it was that sort of a, a place. Some of the poorest people I've ever met. And when we were getting ready for that trip, we approached our, our church. We said, hey, will you just bring in your old discarded t-shirts? We want to take boxes of t-shirts to the people of Port Royal, Jamaica. And so we got a box or two, just, you know, we cleaned them and we folded them, had them pressed down in there. We shipped them over there with us. When we opened, I'll never forget this. We opened up those boxes, started handing out t-shirts. It was like Christmas morning. Our cast-offs became their treasure. I'll never forget that. In fact, it was so weird because like 10 years later, I saw on Facebook a picture of somebody in Jamaica. And one of the people standing beside had my t-shirt on. <laughs> it's kind of weird. When I was in Uganda, in Africa... We were working on building a church and also running a vacation Bible school. We had like a hundred some kids coming. Just, I mean, out of the woods, out of the jungle. They just came from everywhere. And, and every day, we fed them lunch. We fed them lunch. All the people who worked with us and all the kids we were ministering to. And we found out that they were so excited about that because that was probably the only food they would have all day long. It was just rice and beans, you know, for, for 150, 200 people every day. And I remember there were some of the people in the church that said, hey, these kids who come, they've come from miles. I'm talking four-year-olds, four-year-olds. They've come from miles without their parents. Their parents sent them here because they knew that for the days you're here, they will have food to eat on those days. You better believe I went home. I was thankful for a refrigerator and embarrassed by a cupboard full of food. On those trips, every time we leave, we leave everything there that we can. I, socks, shoes, underwear, belts, um, even the suitcases we carried off our clothes. Every, every stitch of clothing, we literally come home with the clothes on our backs, and that is all. I wish that stayed with me longer. When I came home from the one trip, it was around my birthday, which is, by the way, February 9th. I want to write that down. <laughs> February 9th, Rich's birthday. Um, I came home, and Marsha and the kids were like, hey, we're so glad to get you home, and it's your birthday. We're going to surprise for you, like, on the way home. And, and so we, we stop at Dick's Sporting Goods. I'm like, what are we doing at Dick's Sporting Goods? And, and they're like, they're so excited because um, they, they had a surprise for me at Dick's. They said, we want you to pick out a kayak. 
because you've been talking nonstop about a kayak for three years. So this is your year. Happy birthday, Dad. We're getting you a kayak. No, not that end. Those are too expensive. Come down to this end, Dad. These are the kayaks you can look at. These, these three right here. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm like, oh my gosh, a kayak is I've been wanting a kayak forever. Uh, this is a great. And I, and I just stopped. I, I'm, I'm fresh back from Uganda. I'm like, ah, oh, family, I love you. I love what you, what you want to give me, but I, I can't. I just can't. I could not. I could not pay for a kayak when I knew there were people even back here where we live living in need. Now, the only bad thing about that is mission trips fade. And you end up buying kayaks later anyway. And you buy more clothes and put them in your closet anyway. And you stuff your refrigerator and, and your and your uh, freezer and your cupboards full with more food anyway. This is why you have to practice Thanksgiving. It's not a one-off. You have to practice every day. God, what do I have to be thankful for? Oh my gosh, look around. You have a car? Or two? Or three? People, people in Jamaica and Uganda and India, where places in Puerto Rico, places I've been, like, Americans are so rich. I don't know. My car's worth about $250. Better than my car. I don't have a car. I have a little nothing. We have more than one set of clothes. You're rich. You have enough food today that, what, three, maybe four meals plus snacks? You're rich. We have to practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Because being thankful for what you have frees you from wanting more and allows you to give away more. Listen, radical generosity is more than just a fleeting feeling. It's a lifestyle. And next weekend, next Sunday morning, we're going to put some real practical handles on that in our last installment of, of this series. So I hope you'll come back and join us next Sunday for the conclusion of Radical Generosity. But before we sing our last song, I want you to see what your generosity is providing outside the walls of Grace Collective Church. Would you take a look at this? Hello, Grace Collective. Uh... Yeah, my name is Dave. Um, I work for the Navigators uh, Creative Ministry at Kent State. I'm at Zach. Eight nine or ten months ago. I just saw Zach's um, love for God and just wanting to grow his faith and to serve others. And so I asked him to become one of our student leaders. Um, our angle really is to help uh, people become disciple making. And I'm taking Zach. Now leading Bible study, and you're going to start meeting with some younger students here. Um, so we have three guys right now, and maybe a fourth guy other than us coming uh, tonight. Warren um, is a guy who grew up in a Catholic church and kind of moved away from it. Then up his first year, he realized that he wanted a relationship with God, so he's coming back. Um, another guy who's from Nigeria, who's a very strong believer, just was having a hard time and just needed. Christian fellowship community, um, along with a guy who actually was my music pastor's son who comes here, um, and he just wants to serve that's where he can grow his hair too, and then a guy that he knew who's an international student from Spain, um, is probably coming tonight to join with us, just cool, he just happened to come along last week when we were in the Bible study, and I got his number, and he invited him, and yeah, that's, uh, 
I know what the Bible study is. That's just like a small part of our ministry and things like that. Four parts. I'm just blessed to uh, have the opportunity to do this in uh, I can because looking back a couple of years ago, I've never seen myself uh, actually doing this. Not gonna lie. Um, my mom was always bugging me saying, "Oh, getting involved in school, trying to find a uh, um, Christian group for a Bible study," and she kept on asking if I was, and I kept on saying, "Oh, I'm looking, but not really." And then I was blessed with uh, the meeting of this man right here. And after this weekend, um, God just like helped me maybe I should start like acting outside of just like working with the Bible study that we have here and just you know, just had a calling to maybe like open out of my comfort zone today. Two kids I spar with, um, at the rec center where I basically teach out of box kind of. Um, because obviously I'm that's boxing. But um <laughs> so I've uh I asked them yesterday after sparring if we uh, wanted to read some scripture and just pray for each other. All of us just pray for one of us. Um, just before we get nothing wrong or anything. So um, next week well, I'm hoping to start that. So that's really cool how uh, God's using me. And I, and I, uh, I'm blessed. Because of your generosity, one of our own, Zach to say is one of our own, you know, you know his family, Mike and Wendy. Your brother. Yeah. Um, how, how cool is that that they are reaching out to other students on Kansas State's campus in Ohio? And uh, a number of months ago, six, seven months ago, Zach came to me and said, Hey, um, my campus pastor um, is just doing great work, and I'm wondering if we could support him at all from the church. And so our lead team said, Yeah, you know, we have a tithe every month, and we sent some of our tithe money over to support that ministry. And now you see Zach, he's not only involved, but he's stepping out into some leadership. And that's, that's what you're providing. For people to come to know Jesus in a college campus. So thank you, Grace Collective, for your generosity. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.